John 15 in your Bibles this morning. John chapter number 15. Let's make our way over there. We're going to begin a new series of sermons today around this idea of the commands of Christ. Our theme in 2023, as you see on the screen there, is the commands of Christ. And we're going to focus in on yet another grouping of those commands and look at commands concerning others, how I handle and treat others. So we're going to hop in today and look at the first sermon in that series involving others. Once you've found John 15, if you don't mind, stand for the reading of the Word of God. John 15, verse 12 through verse number 17. Uh, We will read the passage responsively. I'll begin alone in verse 12. We'll begin reading together in verse 13 and follow that pattern down through the 17th verse. See if you can spot the command of Christ as we read the passage. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Together, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring, go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that ye love one another. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Love One Another. There's the command, we are to love one another. As I began to put this message together, I thought to myself, what does that even truly mean? You see, we throw the word love around in our language so loosely and flippantly. I love pizza. I love my dog. I love my family. I love ice cream. I love sports, right? But what does it mean to truly, truly to love one another? Let's break that down right from the teachings of Christ, right out of John chapter 15 today. God, help us. Help show us where we're selfish. Help show us where we're self-centered. Help show us where our love for you and others falls short. Those two great commands, to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh, how we fail on these over and over again because we get ourselves in the way. Oh, Lord God, open our eyes today to truth and help us to get in line with truth and go forth and seek to live truth. Lord, each person that's coming here today bears their own set of problems and struggles through life. Some have health problems, some relationship problems, many have money problems. But Lord, You are the answer to all of our problems. And so, Lord God, we pray the Word would be a healing balm that pours down on our hurting hearts today. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Show me a church where there is the love of God, and I will show you a church that is a power in the community. In Chicago, a few years ago, a little boy attended a Sunday school. When his parents moved to another part of the city, the little fellow still attended the same Sunday school, 
although it meant a long, tiresome walk each direction. A friend asked him why he would travel so far to get to church. And he told him, young man, there are plenty of other churches just as good as yours, much closer to your home. The little boy replied, he said, they may be as good for others, but they're not as good for me. Well, why not, his friend uh, rebuttaled. The young man said, because I know they love me at my church. I know they love me at my church. If only we could make the world believe that we loved them, there would be fewer empty churches and a smaller population who would never darken a church door. Let love replace duty in our church relations and the world would soon be evangelized. I believe that if our church could completely convince our community that we love them, we would not be able to build a building big enough to contain the crowd. The world is looking for love and the reality is the people in the room here today Need your love just the same. My mother used to say to me on a regular basis as she sent me out the door for school, be kind to everyone because everyone is having a tough time. We look around the room at each other and we see that we're all dressed up for church and we all look put together and we all look polished and we come with a smile on our face and we shake hands and we try to have a glimmer in our eye, but... The reality is that deep down inside, many, if not most here today, are carrying some very heavy burdens and they need their brothers and sisters in Christ to genuinely love them. Jesus' command is to love one another. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor, rather act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets of life. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone, or rather, if you, correct, if you injure someone you dislike, you will find you're disliking him even more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. Pick someone that you really don't care for, someone that you really don't like, and go out of your way to do a kind act. Be benevolent their direction, and you'll find that disdain getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Find someone that you don't like and be mean to them, and you'll find that your disdain for them grows larger and larger. Take your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, if you would. Hold your place in John 15. Jesus had his hands full with these men. Uh, just like he has his hands full with me and you, they were um, self-centered and selfish when he called them to follow him, and they they um, they were always looking to one up each other. There was this seeming power grab and this power struggle dynamic amongst the disciples, and Jesus here in John 15, he's getting to the very end. He's getting ready to be crucified. Uh, he's getting ready to raise from the dead. Shortly thereafter, he'll ascend up to heaven. And these 12 men that he has sought so hard to train, we'll call them the 11. Judas is going to depart. These 11 men that he sought so hard to train are now going to need to look after each other instead of squabbling and fighting. 
with one another. If we rewind the clock from John 15 to Mark 10, a year and a half or two earlier, we find these inner squabbles. We find uh, this power grab, this selfishness that is like a cancer running through the disciples of Jesus. Look at verse 35 of Mark 10. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, these are brothers, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now, that is an interesting verse. Can I tell you what they were saying? Jesus, we're going to ask you a favor. Can you just tell us you're going to say yes? Just tell us up front. How many parents ever have your kids pull that one on you, right? Hey, Dad, I'm going to ask you something. Can you just say yes? Well, I'm not going to write a blank check, all right? I... I'm not just going to give you whatever you want. I, uh, and so yeah, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, we're going to ask you a favor. Can you, can you grant it to us? Look at verse 36. And he, Jesus said unto them, what would that I should do for you? Then said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, you know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed, speaking of their martyrdom, speaking of how they would die, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized, with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. Well, why wasn't it Jesus's to give? Because it was the Father's to give. Jesus could not give that because Jesus and the Father are two parts of separate parts of the Trinity. Look here. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it. Here, look at the squabbling. So James and John, they break, let me, let me uh, preface this. James and John, they pull Jesus to the side away from the ten. And they say, Jesus, we want to ask you a favor. Can we have permission to sit on your right hand and on your left hand in glory? And the ten are over here unaware of what's going on. Well, the ten find out about this question and they are not happy. They are not happy. Look at verse number 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise, exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them. Look down at 44. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life for ransom, uh, 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 give his life a ransom for many. Church, what was it that Jesus was working to do those three and a half years with the disciples? He was looking to break them down and build them back up into his image and his likeness and what he wanted. He was looking to break down their selfishness and rather build up their selflessness so that they would love one another instead of loving themselves. Oh, this same battle goes on in the heart of believers today. We get to John chapter 15 and we find that in the final night, prior to his arrest, Jesus expounds and explains Christian maturity in a crystal clear way. The sermon this morning, look up here, the sermon this morning is a sermon about Christian maturity. If you can't follow this command, or you won't follow this command, you are stating, I am very immature in the Lord. To follow this command is to follow the, the spirit 
of all of Christ's commands. So we're going to take an extensive look at John 15. And in so doing, uh, we're going to see that the pinnacle of Christian maturity is wrapped up in this command to love one another. I want to ask a question this morning. What does that even really mean? What does it mean to love the brethren? You hear that term, love the brethren. That's a very churchy term. That's a very old English term, love the brethren. Uh, in, in simple English language, what does it mean to love one another? Does it just simply mean to be nice to people? Hey there. How you doing? This morning, part of the 815 service, I shook everybody's hand and I greeted every one of them by name and I made sure I was nice to all of them. Do you know? Well, there's like 30 of them, okay? So don't be that impressed, all right? Um, do you know that that is not the end-all, be-all of loving someone? Some folks show up to church and, how you doing? How are you? Hi. What cracks me up are people who won't shake hands, right? Ew, I don't want your germs. Look, put some hand sanitizer in your purse or your pocket and you'll be fine, right? Uh, and I'm picking on you. If you don't want to shake hands and you've got a legit reason, I, a medical reason, I, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Being, loving others, listen up, loving others is not about being nice to people. By the way, loving others is not the absence of being mean. You say, well, I was never mean to them. That doesn't mean that you love them. Loving others runs so much deeper. And in my preparation for the sermon this week, I had to get out of my chair at my desk and get down on my knees and confess some sin in my life around this topic. God showed me on a very deep level what it actually means to love one another. In White Oak Baptist Church, listen up. If we will truly embrace not only the letter of this command, but the spirit of this command, this church, this church will be revolutionized by this truth. I read a book some years ago, or actually I, was, I didn't read the book. Let me back up. I'm going to be very honest. I did not read the book. My brother-in-law... Josh, missionary to Fiji, read the book. He told me, he said, in China, there is a lot of persecution of the church. He said, as a result, they have underground church. He said, they meet in living rooms. They sneak in and out of homes. They run the risk of arrest. He said, these church units are very tight-knit. These church units... Everyone is very devoted to looking after one another. He said in the book, it described a province in China several decades ago that loosened its laws on religious persecution and actually allowed, keep your attention up here, actually allowed uh, for uh, a church building to be built. And so they built a building much like the one we're sitting in uh, this morning, and they began to have preachers that would sit on the platform and people that would show up for church service. They said immediately upon doing this, within just a couple of months, the same people who were devoted to looking after the needs of each other became spectators who would show up and sit on a pew and drink a sermon in and leave and care nothing about their brother or sister in Christ beyond that moment. They said, we lost the element of how to love one another when we moved into and began to experience the corporate church experience. Now, what am I saying this morning? Am I saying we should sell the property and start meeting in living rooms? That is not what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is we need to be aware that there's a temptation to just show up, punch the clock, and go home and not care for others anymore. We need to be aware of that. We need to be on high alert of that. And we need to learn to truly love one another. Let's jump into the outline this morning. If you're visiting, you'll notice on the back of your bulletin there is a fill-in-the-blank outline. The blanks, the word that goes in the blank will be up on the screen. Everyone is encouraged to take notes as we go and turn this into your own Bible study at home this week. Number one, notice the expectation of fruit bearing. The expectation of fruit bearing. Look at John 15 and look at verse number 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. Look very closely at what it says. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Hey, you can get your prayers answered if you are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in you. When you pray... You're going to see your prayers answered. Now look at verse 8. Look at verse 8, Christian. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. To be a disciple of Christ is to be a producer of good fruit. To be a disciple of Christ is to be a producer of good fruit. Have you ever seen a bad apple tree? You know what that's like? You know what that looks like? When I was a teenager, we lived in a home in White Marsh, Maryland, and we had an apple tree in our front yard that put off poisonous apples. There were worms in these apples. They were not eatable. And I know that my brother, James, uh, who's a missionary, he loved to climb that tree. He fell out of the tree and broke his right arm. Landed on that thing, uh, a hairline fracture, ended up with a cast on. He broke his right arm three years in a row. Now he is left-handed because he broke his arm three years in a row. The doctor came and said, "What after the third year, what are you doing, young man? And James is a very active kid. But... Um, uh, bad apple trees. Uh, you know what I want to say this morning to you is that everybody, everybody produces fruit. You put off fruit in your life. Is it good godly fruit or is it godless toxic fruit? You ever been around a toxic person? You ever been around a person who you're like, man, I, you know what? Their life produces fruit too. And that's not the kind of fruit that you want. I want to put off godly fruit. The Bible says in John 15, 8, Here is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. What kind of fruit should the Christian bear? Letter A, notice the fruit of a godly spirit. The fruit of a godly spirit. You would expect, when a pastor talks about spiritual fruit or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you would expect him to quote or use Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Now, I want you to turn over there if you don't mind, even if you know the verses. I would like for you to turn over there. If you don't know where that is, you're new to the Bible, then feel free to sit and listen. But if you know where Galatians 5 is and you can navigate to that, please do that quickly. And let's pay attention to these nine fruits of the Spirit. 
Galatians 5, verse 22. Can we read those together? I'll give you a minute to get there. So here's some pages turning. Galatians 5, verse 22. Ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I uh, think of the tree of life in heaven that is situated by the river of life. The Bible tells us that this tree is going to put off 12 different fruits on the same tree and will reproduce those fruits every single month. And as I think about how wonderful it will be to walk up and select a mango or a peach or an apple and sink my teeth into that whatever heavenly fruit there is, that is exciting to think about. Do you know that when people walk up to you, they ought to be able to pick off the fruits of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. There ought to be these nine fruits that hang off the tree of your life and people ought to be able to walk up and see in you a godly spirit and those fruits are produced day after after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. Why? Because the Spirit of God has taken over your heart and He has taken lust and He's replaced it with love. And He's taken worldly thrills and replaced it with joy. And He's taken distraction and replaced it with peace. And He's taken anger and He's replaced it with long-suffering. And He's taken a crude or crass lifestyle and He's replaced it with gentleness. And He's taken selfishness and He's replaced it with goodness and He's taken your fear and replaced it with faith. He's taken carelessness and replaced it with meekness and He's taken addiction and He's replaced it with temperance. You ought to be a man or woman that is not driven by lust, worldly thrills, distraction, anger, crude, crass lifestyle, selfishness, fear, carelessness, and addiction. You ought to rather be identified with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And when the Holy Spirit of God takes over your life and you learn to submit to Him, what you're going to find is that that impatience falls off. And patience comes in and you begin to become patient. Someone says, well, pastor, I can't help being impatient. I'm Italian. And us Italians, we just tell people how it is. We're, we're, we, we give them a piece of our mind. A uh, pastor, I, I get angry. I'm Irish. I just can't help it. And, and um, um, you know what? Those are bad excuses. Those are bad excuses. I don't care what set of struggles that you have, if the Spirit of God is in charge in your heart, then the old fruit on the vine dies of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit begins to replace it. Lust withers and dies. And in its place grows love for one another. The fruit of a godly spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. But the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Letter B, we see the fruit of winning souls. The fruit of winning souls. To be a disciple of Christ is to tell other people about Jesus and His love. You cannot be a disciple if you are not witnessing to others. Can you write this little quote down? 
disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. Who in your life is a disciple of the Lord because you are a disciple of the Lord? Oh, I know this is uncomfortable. But you know what? Sometimes when you go see the doctor and he pokes in certain places, it hurts. Dr. Lejeune here is... I'm not actually a doctor, all right? Dr. Lejeune here is poking, and that might hurt a little bit. But if you're not telling people about Jesus, and you're not bringing people to salvation, you're not a real disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be someone who loves the Lord, and you may be someone who lives a cush, comfortable life, But if there's not souls being produced in your life as a result of your life, then my friend, you're not really a disciple of the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus said in John 15 that the purpose of a fruit tree is to produce fruit. You say, but I'm a man of love. I'm a woman of joy. That's great. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Those are not your fruits. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Listen, and he that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls. Who are you telling about? Who are you telling Jesus to? Philippians 4 1, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved, dearly, uh, my brother, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Paul had gone into the city of Philippi there in Macedonia, and he had faced quite a bit of hostility. First, he had cast a demon out of a woman who was uh, taunting him, and she got saved. And then he was arrested and beaten and thrown in jail. And he ended up leading the Philippian jailer and his family to the Lord. And even prior to that, there were some ladies down by the river, and he led them to the Lord. And the next thing you know, he's out leaving Philippi, and this little church group uh, begins and begins to grow and begins to blossom. And Paul writes back to them in the book of Philippians, and he says, You are my crown and joy, because you have believed. I uh, highlighted Hector a little bit ago in the sermon, and Hector is my crown and joy. He is fruit of my efforts and labors to show the love of Christ. And now Ray is the uh, crown and joy of Hector's heart, because uh, Hector cared to share the Lord uh, with Ray and see Ray get saved. Who is the crown and joy? Who is the fruit because of the love that abides in your heart, that comes pouring out onto others around you, the expectation of fruit bearing. Let me quickly say a word to the moms and dads with small children at home and the grandparents with small grandchildren. Uh, you have a responsibility to pass down your Christianity from your generation to the next generation. And by living in the love of God and abiding in the love of God, you offer an authenticity to your Christianity so that those children will grow up and make it their own. I want Matthew in April to see dad at home and know that dad at home is the same man that loves Jesus as the dad who stands behind the pulpit and preaches the word of God. The last thing I want are for my children to look up here at me while I'm preaching and think, 
that man up there is a hypocrite. I want them to know that dad loves the Lord and loves them because my children are getting to an age where they're beginning to think for themselves. And it's not good enough for my children to have Christianity because I have it. No, my children need to embrace Christianity and make it their own. And moms and dads, you have a responsibility to bear the fruit of winning the souls of your children and grandchildren and passing on a godly heritage of the love of God and so that they're in church and they love the Lord for generations to come. We also need men and women who are willing to open up their heart and with a tear in the corner of their eye in compassion, tell the lost world around them about the saving grace of Jesus, the, the expectation of fruit bearing. Notice number two, the emphasis on loving. The emphasis on loving. All right, there are two different groups of people in attendance this morning at White Oak Baptist Church. Whether it's your first time here or you've been coming since 1980 when the church was established, everybody here falls into two distinct groups. And we could create all kinds of two groups that people fall into. But let me give you one maybe you have never considered. We have those in the room that when it comes to the commands of Christ, you are highly pragmatic. Here's what I mean. Your attitude is this. Just get the job done. Just get the job done. Uh, you, you're the type of person that says, the Lord has given us a job to do. He wants us to produce fruit. Then get after it and produce fruit. Just produce fruit. He says that we're to produce fruit. Produce fruit. Learn how to love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Learn all those things. Learn how to share the gospel with others. And look, just very matter of fact, not to overcomplicate things, we're commanded to produce. Then let's get after it and let's produce fruit. Uh, let's not make excuses because excuses are for sissies. And produce or get out of my way. All right? Maybe not the attitude, but that, that's the pragmatic approach, all right? Then there's another crowd of people here, and this is more their attitude. They say, all that production talk makes me uncomfortable. Pastor, quit pushing me to see people get saved. That sounds like you're numbers-oriented, all right? Um, Pastor, Christianity is about love. Love. The two greatest commandments in the Bible do not revolve around producing fruit. They revolve around love. Love God and love your neighbor. So, which crowd is right? The answer is yes. <laughs> Both are right. This is one of those pivotal points in the sermon, or rather critical points in the sermon, where you really need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Christians become naturally productive for the Lord when they dwell in and operate by the love of God. Let me put it this way. Production is a natural outflow of a man or woman who lives under and abides in the love of God. You don't have to manufacture fruit. It happens automatically when you are in love with God and dwelling in His presence. This is why the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you truly do love God, 
then the second command takes care of itself. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Production comes as a result of being in love with God. How many of you here enjoy gardening? Anybody here enjoy gardening? Landscape, gardening? I need you to pray for me. Can I give you a prayer request? My wife is into plants. Pray for me. Alright? They're everywhere. They're taking over our home. In fact, I, I have a hard time making it to my dresser sometimes. Because it's not that bad. I'm being, I'm being goofy. Really, I blame Callie McGuire. Because my wife didn't even know anything about plants until Callie and her husband came to our church. And now, I think Angela has outgrown Callie in her love for plants quite possibly. But... Um, we have an abundance of oxygen in the Lejeune home. We have a very healthy oxygen to carbon monoxide ratio. All right? Um, I don't garden at all. I've never grown anything out of the ground successfully. I worked on a fruit farm when I was a teenager, but all I did was pick the fruit. I really didn't have much to do with the process. Um, but I do know what miracle Grow is. How many know what miracle Grow is? How many of you don't understand my question? How many of you are just too lazy to raise your hands? I saw a comedian. He said, how many of you go to a hand-raising church? And a bunch of people shot up their hand. He said, how many of you do not go to a hand-raising church? They're like, I can't get it up. I, I can't raise my hand. I don't go to it. Anyway, that will land later when you think about it. Um, Miracle grow. Watch this. God's love in the heart of the Christian is the miracle grow that produces the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of evangelism. When you fall in love with God, it's like miracle grow in your heart and you will become a man or woman controlled by His Spirit and a woman, man or woman, who produces souls. Look at John 15, verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Look at verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Look at that again. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. By the way, if you abide in His love, you're going to keep His commandments. And if you keep His commandments, you're going to abide in His love. They're interlocked, they're intertwined, they cannot be separated. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friend. Verse 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. Let me quickly give you an A and a B. Notice letter A. The poison of selfish love. Can you take your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, please, if you know where that is? 2 Timothy 3. And I'm going to read a prophetic passage that I believe very much describes the time in which we live. If you've been in church any length of time, you're familiar with this passage. But, boy, I really want us to look at this passage and see selfishness and what it does. And selfishness and the form it takes in a culture and in a people group. Look at verse 1. I'll be getting reading. You can catch up if you're not there yet. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. 
covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. See if these next three don't describe children today, and really children of the last couple of generations, without natural affection. Oh, the LGBT community has got a grip on our kids. Truce breakers. That means people can't keep their word. They lie all the time. False accusers. Incontinent. Fierce. Despisers of those that are good. They hate authority. They hate anything that's right. Traitors. Heady. That just means they uh, worship their own intellect. High-minded. They're stuck-up know-it-alls. Now look at this last phrase, and this describes our social media drunken culture. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. In the heart of each Christian is a tension to love oneself instead of loving God and others. Selfish love leads to a very ugly place. Hey, write these things down. Selfishness leads to self-pity. Selfishness leads to self-pity. Many people waller around in the mud pit of self-pity. They are always feeling sorry for themselves. They are always a victim over the way someone looked at them or what someone said to them or maybe even what someone didn't say to them. We live in a world where victimhood is celebrated. In fact, uh, you need to be a victim. Uh, if you're a woman, you're a victim. If you're a color of minority, you're a victim. In fact, even white people today are beginning to claim they're a victim because of all of the special attention and privilege all the colored people get. And uh, How come we don't get an idiot attention. Uh, if you are in any sort of micro subgroup, you are a victim. And let me just say this morning, I am not a victim and neither are you. God put you in the skin that He gave you. He gave you the color of skin. He gave you the family that you have. You were born in the country you were born in. Uh, you were raised in the wealth class you were raised in. And God has a purpose and a reason for it. And you need not act like a victim. You know, the problem with being a victim is that you need someone to come save and rescue you. And you know what uh, our culture wants? They want to turn you into a victim so the government can come in and save you. You don't need the government to save you. You need to step up and make the very best of what God has given you. We have a day and time and age where we have made victims into everybody. Victims into everybody. What we need is for people to accept responsibility. There is a little subtlety in this, but I have noticed that people now say it was an accident of said, instead of saying, that was my fault. Oh, it was an accident. No, no, no. It wasn't an accident. It was your fault. You say, well, pastor, what's the big deal? You're, you're really picking on something that doesn't matter. No, no, no. One, one de reflect, deflects personal responsibility the other embraces and says, I own this mistake. Oh, we need people who will step up and say, I am not a victim. I am not a victim of anything. I am going to make the best of my life. By the way, by the, way the world says love yourself because no one else, uh, 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 no one else knows you and, and will love you like you can love yourself. This is a humanistic philosophy that puts you at the center of the world and expects everyone in the universe, including God, to revolve around you. 
And I want to tell you that you are not at the center of the universe. God is at the center of the universe. And you are to revolve around God and not expect God to revolve around you. Well, I prayed and I just didn't get my way. Well, are you God or is God God? Because if God's got to give you everything you pray for, then that means you get to tell God what to do. We need a group of people who kick the humanistic philosophy out of our hearts. Uh, look, you say, Pastor Lejeune, what is the number one detriment? What is the number one poison that is sinking into the church today in the Western culture? And the answer is humanism. It's the worshiping of my own personal autonomy instead of what God wants. Well, if it makes me feel good, I should get to do it. No, just because it makes you feel good doesn't mean you should do it. We are not called to give in to our base instincts. We're called to rise above and be led by the Spirit of God and do what we're commanded to do. May personal pleasure be put to the side and may pleasing the Father lead the way. And what happens when we don't get our way? We throw ourselves a little pity party. I want what I want. You want to be miserable? Go a pity party. I've never met anyone who's throwing a pity party that wasn't miserable. Angela came to the kitchen a few months ago. I was sitting at the table and she said, What's wrong? I said, I'm throwing a pity party. Leave me alone. I said, I want to be miserable right now. When I'm done being miserable, I'll let you know. And I sat there and I threw a little pity party. And then I prayed and I got my heart right and I moved on. I've never met anyone who throws a pity party that isn't miserable. Some of you right now, you waller in self-pity. You're drunk on self-pity and you're miserable. You know where that comes from? That comes from selfishness. Selfishness leads to self-pity that leads to misery. You want to stop being miserable? Quit throwing a pity party. You want to quit throwing a pity party? Quit being selfish. Amen. See, if I smile, it makes it all better. Selfishness leads to self-pity. Selfishness leads to stubbornness. Stubbornness. Each Sunday I stand up here and I bear my soul trying to motivate and push each one of you to be more like Jesus. Can I tell you how it feels sometimes? You ever seen someone who's just sitting down and they got their legs crossed and they got their arms crossed and they're locked down and they won't move? Right? And here I am up here preaching, and spiritually, you are locked down. And I come along, and I try to nudge you forward, and I try to push you forward, and you, I might move you a centimeter, and then after church, you move back that centimeter. And your favorite hymnal is, I shall not be moved. I will not change. I'm selfish. I don't care what the pastor says. And by the way, if I'm not saying it from the Bible, I have no authority to say it. I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what the Holy Spirit says. I don't care what uh, the Word of God says. I want to live my life my way. Leave me alone. I will not change. And my friend, I want to speak to the adults this morning. That is selfish. That harms the cause of Christ. That damages children. It limits their spiritual maturity. The result is going to uh, lead others into hell from a lack of your own spiritual maturation. Instead of loving God and others, you stubbornly love yourself and you refuse to change. Selfishness also leads to suffering. To suffering. How does a person become miserable? Well, self-pity leads to 
misery and suffering. Grabbing hold of sin and refusing to let go of it and refusing to grow in the Lord also leads to a heart of misery. When you love God and others, your heart is filled with joy. It's filled with gladness. When you choose to neglect God and love yourself, your heart will eventually be filled with misery and suffering. Let her be, notice the principles of selfless love. We saw the poison of selfish love. Notice the principles of selfless love. Look at John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Isn't it interesting we have to be commanded to love one another? Look at verse 17. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Let me give you a couple thoughts below this quickly. Notice our attitude toward others. Our attitude toward others. The Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I mentioned in my introduction that loving the brethren does not just mean being nice to people or being friendly when you pass them in the pew or the hallway. Loving people requires a selfless attitude that puts others' needs ahead of your own. It is a proactive attitude that chooses God and others over self over and over and over again. Consider 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 that says, Now we exhort you, encourage you, admonish you, push you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. God is calling you as His disciple to get in the game and get busy letting God's love flow through you and on to others. Some of you will never do that until you get a change in your attitude. Let's stop coming to church for the purpose of seeing what we can get and start looking at what we can give. Now, I've already said a bunch of things today that have offended people, so I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender right here, okay? Listen up. You have to grow to a place where you quit showing up to church late and leaving early and punching the clock. You have to quit, you have to get to the place where you show up to the activities of the church so that you can get to know the people who attend here, and you can love the people who attend here, and invest in them. You have to get to the place where you get to church early, or you're willing to stay a little late, and you interact with people, not so you can tell them about all the problems in your life, but so that you can develop camaraderie and friendship and depthness of relationship, so that you can obey the command of Christ to love one another. And until you do that, you are disobeying this command. Jesus didn't say, love your wife and children in this passage. He said, love the other disciples of Christ around you. Our attitude. Notice also our actions. Now, this is where I had to get on my knees in my office and get my heart right with the Lord. Look at verse 12. Your attitude, by the way, drives your actions. You're not going to do the right actions until you get the attitude shifted. Look at verse 12. This is convicting. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. What degree am I supposed to love you, and you're supposed to love me, and we're supposed to love each other? We're to do it on the same level that Jesus loved us. And then we find verse 13 that lays out for us the depth of that love. Look at 13, read it with me, ready? Greater love hath no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. 
Are you seeing what I'm seeing? I'm supposed to love the brethren on a level where I would be willing to lay down my life and die for them. Now, I'm going to be straight up with you this morning. I'm going to be straight up with you. I would take a bullet for that woman right there. Wouldn't think twice about it. If someone said it's either you or her, I'd die in a heartbeat. Wouldn't even think twice. If it was me or my kids, I'd die in a heartbeat for my kids. And I think any dad here, any husband here knows exactly what I'm talking about. I think any mom here knows what I'm talking about. But I can't stand up here and say that I would be willing to die for every church member of White Oak Baptist Church. That's where I had to get on my knees and say, Lord, my love needs to be deeper and stronger and more profound. You say, Pastor, that's crazy. You read John 15, 12, and 13 and tell me if you can draw any other conclusion. That's exactly what that says. When we learn to love on that level, listen, we won't be able to build a building big enough to contain all the people that will come to this church. I don't want a church that's built on rock and roll bands and worldliness and TED Talks with the Bible verse mixed in. I'm not looking to imitate the world. I'm looking for this church to contrast the world. The world is filled with lust and pleasure and pride and sin. And let me just say, the church house ought to be filled with love and humility and grace and a place where uh, there's contrast to sin and righteousness and godliness. And may we show the world what selfless love looks like. God is not asking anyone here to die for anyone else today. But if you're not willing to cover his sister on the nursery schedule, can you really say that you'd be willing to die for him? How can we love the brethren in our actions? We can prepare a meal for someone who is sick. We can provide a temporary place of shelter when someone is displaced. We can give to the benevolence fund at the church to help those who are having a hard time paying their light bill or buying groceries. We can go cut the lawn of someone who is a shut-in or elderly. We can visit those who are shut-in or hospitalized. We can invest in the next generation of children by getting involved in the children's ministries of White Oak Baptist Church and teaching them the Word of God. We can house a missionary who is passing through the area. There are so many more ways in which we can give of our time and resources. Listen, you can give without loving, but you cannot love others without giving. Jesus said, love others the way that I did. Jesus said, I washed feet. I want you to serve others. I got down with the broken and sinful. I touched the eyes of the blind and I put my fingers in the ears of the deaf and I put my hands on the dead and raised them back to life and I touched the legs of the lame and I helped up the nasty, dirty publican and adulterous sinners up and I showed them love and I cared for them and I poured in them and I invested in them and I want you to do likewise. Love the brethren. Ride a church bus. Teach a kid's class. Give to a missionary. Pray and bear a brother's burden. Freely you have received the love of God. Freely give it to others. Look at John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I have given to you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Look at 35. By this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How do people know that you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because you give and you're, you're, you give and you love supernaturally and profoundly. What is love? It is silence when your words would hurt. 
It is patience when your neighbor's curt. It is deafness when a rumor grows. It is thoughtfulness for others' woes. It is promptness when stern duty calls. It is courage when misfortune falls. We're going to run quickly through number three and wrap it up in about five minutes here. Notice number three, the equation for obeying. The equation for obeying. Look at John 15, verse 3. Letter A, we see we must abide. John 15, notice the emphasis on abiding in Christ. Now you're clean, verse 3, through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. Notice that. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Um, uh, uh, He that abideth in me, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same cannot bring forth much fruit. Look at this. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them up and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Look down to verse 10. If ye keep my commandments... Ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. And then verse 11, I love, look here, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Fruit production comes from a place of abiding in the love of God. Abiding in the love of God. Where do we find the love of God? This right here in my hands, and sitting in your lap, is the love letter from heaven. As I pick this up and embrace it and read it, what I find is God's message of love to me. How else do we find the love of God? We find it in that secret place of daily and regular prayer. Prayer. We find it at church with our siblings in Christ. Read your Bible and pray and be faithful to church. Fall in love with God and abide in His love. You cannot produce the fruit of of loving others until you are completely wrapped up and abiding in the love of God. You can only fake Christian love for so long. You're either abiding in self-love or the Savior's love. In time, that fruit will become evident and obvious. Notice letter B, we must abound. We must abound. First notice that back in verse 11, if ye abide in God's love, you will abound with joy full and overflowing. Look at John fifteen fourteen. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father. I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should bring, go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Do you abound with joy? Out on our table in our lobby, we have sign-up sheets for upcoming events. If I put a sign-up sheet on the back table that said, sign up here if you want to be depressed. I don't think anybody put their name on there. Nobody wants to be depressed. But many people are. I'm not going to begin to try to unravel depression in 60 seconds. But what I will say this, selfishness leads to depression. When you learn to love others and stop loving yourself, what you're going to find is a promise from John 15 that your heart will be 
filled with and overflowing with joy. You have every reason in the world to dwell in the love of God and channel it onto others. That love runs through your heart onto others and there's just really no room for discouragement and depression. We live in the era of the iPhone. We live in the era of YouTube. I, me, you. It's time we set our narcissistic ways aside and we embrace the selflessness of God's love. And we learn to love one another. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Traditionally, this time of year, it's been family month where we preach on the Christian home. And in some senses, today is a sermon in that line, except it's not about parenting or marriage. It's about your Christian family. Do you love your Christian family? Do you love the brethren? I didn't ask if you were nice to them. I didn't ask if you smile when you pass them in the pew. I asked, do you actually love them? Or are you just busy loving yourself? How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know about the love thing, but I know this. I've asked Jesus in my heart. I know that if I were to die today, I know I'd go to heaven. I've given my heart to Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I know that I'm on my way to heaven. If that's your testimony, would you just raise your hand? I know my sins have been forgiven. You may put your hands down. Thank you for that honesty. There were several hands in the room that were not raised. And if you don't know you're going to heaven, I, I want to pray for you. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I die today, I do not know where I'd go. If that's you, my friend, I promise I will not embarrass you. I will not call you out. I just privately want to pray for you. Is there one here today that say, Pastor Lejeune, I do not know where I'd go if I'd die. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand if that's you? I see a hand. Is there anyone else? If you raise your hand saying you don't know where you'd spend eternity, I sure would like to encourage you to come forward during the invitation and let us show you from the Bible how you can know. If that's uncomfortable with you, for you, then we'd love to talk with you after the service and help you to know that. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, something that was said in the message, God is convicting my heart. Pray for me that I will be selfless and I will give my heart to loving others and quit being as focused on myself as I have been. Christian, we all face this battle each and every day. It begins with a step of humility. And that humility begins by an admission through raising your hand that maybe you have been selfish lately. You've been too self-centered. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Pastor Lejeune, pray for me. I need to do a better job of loving others. Oh, so many hands. I sure hope you'll find a place down at the altar this morning. You get on your knees and you'll be broken. You see, in our pride we don't change. In our humility we begin to change. And we need some humility this morning. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I pray that this time of invitation, God, that people would really make decisions about how they love each other. We have a world filled with so much selfishness and self-centeredness. Our own flesh is bent that way and wants to do those things. Oh Lord, help us to identify the sin in our life, to confess, forsake, 
and embrace right living. Help us to set the victimhood status to the side. Help us to set aside the wrongs that others have done us and help us to give our whole heart to letting your love flow through us. Bless our time of invitation. May decisions be made that truly do matter and last. In Jesus' name we pray.